Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Anno Domini podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the supremacy of Christ over all things, including our days, weeks, and months. Together, we're going to explore how Christ can be revealed to us through the cyclical life of the church calendar year. We're going to look at how this calendar once structured culture and how it can again. We'll also explore practical ways to observe and celebrate these holy days in our quest to glorify God and live the good life in all that He has given us. Now, since this is episode one, I think it'd be helpful to lay some groundwork for what to expect. First off, some introductions. My name is Joe, and my wife and I and our seven children uh, live out here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest. Um, and over the next year, I'd like to explore how God-fearing, Christ-following, Spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians can benefit from following the church calendar year. Personally, I come from a Protestant, Reformed, Evangelical background. I have very little experience with the church calendar outside of Christmas and Easter. So this is a journey on which I embark with little more than a passion to learn some church history, to learn how to experience God in a deeper way, and the podcast will be basically a report back on what I found. Now for a quick disclaimer. Now this is going to be maybe standard to every episode, not really sure yet, but it's certainly going to show up here right at the beginning of this episode, and that is that the only holy day or holiday that I believe Christians are really held to keeping is the weekly Sabbath. And no, no, I'm not referring to the Old Testament Jewish Sabbath of, you know, not starting fires and don't gather sticks and things like that. I'm talking about the New Covenant Sunday Sabbath, the day of the Lord or the Lord's Day. This is the, this is the day that for the last 2,000 years Christians have been celebrating on Sunday. Now, from the creation of the world... We've been resting once per week. That's not new. It's the fourth commandment, but it's new now in the new covenant because, of course, Jesus came to make all things new, and so he made even the Sabbath better. Um, So Christians are covenantally required to keep the Sabbath, and what a blessing the Sabbath is to us, and it's something we should be very thankful for. So the disclaimer really is this. All of these days over the course of the next year that we're going to be examining and celebrating, they're simply experiential ways of worshiping God with our whole being. Uh, Take, for example, when you pray. We close our eyes. We bow our heads. We kneel. Not because there's some Bible verse requiring us to do so, but because when we worship God, we want to worship with our heart, soul, body, and mind. So following the liturgical calendar is a similar experience. While it's not commanded, it can be simply another way that we can submit to the glory and the supremacy of Christ in all things. And we do it by celebration, so it's not something that that is arduous. And you know, as Christians living in the year of our Lord 2019, we have every reason to celebrate. All right, with that disclaimer out of the way, let's get started. Here's how it's going to kind of work. We're generally going to follow four segments per show. The first segment will be kind of an introduction to the holiday 
with some biblical references in support of the celebratory focus. Um, Second, we're going to look at the historic ways this holiday has been celebrated and kind of how it shaped culture. Uh, Thirdly, we're going to examine a few practical suggestions for how you and your family might celebrate the day. And and that's where I need to also uh, kind of insert the fact that I'm all new to this too. Um, We're going to be talking about Advent in a few minutes here, uh, but that's really the only major one I've celebrated uh, over the course of the last few years. A lot of this is going to be new, so some of these practical suggestions, uh, you may take them or leave them. They may not be all that helpful, and they may be helpful. We'll see. But then the last segment uh, is going to really be the longest part of the segment because we're going to be examining an ancient, or sometimes not so ancient, hymn. Um, And it's going to be a hymn that's based on or somehow connected to the theme of the holiday. I'm also going to try to get these episodes out two or three days in advance of the holiday so that you and your family can have time to prepare for the day. With that in mind, let's get started. This week's episode is all about Advent. On December 1st, Anno Domini 2019, the Church Militant will celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. Okay, a couple of definitions will be helpful here. Anno Domini is the Latin phrase for in the year of our Lord. We often simply use the abbreviation AD, so this is the year 2019 AD. The entire calendar system of the entire world is based off of the resurrection of Christ. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, This is one of the many ways in which Christ is saving and remaking the whole world. He's bringing all the nations and principalities under his rule. Now, the church militant, according to Noah Webster, is the, quote, Christian church on earth, which is supposed to be engaged in a constant warfare against its enemies thus distinguished from the church triumphant, or in heaven. Therefore, the church militant refers to any and all Trinitarian followers of God who trust the Father, obey the Son, and are filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about Christians here. That's the church militant. So, on December 1st, Anno Domini 2019, the church militant will celebrate the first Sunday of Advent. Everybody who is here, alive and breathing, who is a um, Christian, is going to be celebrating Advent. So Advent is the four Sabbaths, or the four Lord's Days, leading up to Christmas. And it marks the beginning of the Christian New Year. We might be tempted to think of Advent and Christmas as the finale of the year because it comes so close to January 1st, but really, it's the beginning of the year as it relates to the church calendar. And the theme of Advent um, always surrounds, in some way, the coming of the Lord. Now, it could be the coming of the Lord as the Christ child. It could be the coming of the Lord in judgment. Uh, It could even be the coming of the Lord in triumph into Jerusalem the week before he was sacrificed. It doesn't have to be specifically uh, baby in the manger type themes. The coming of the Lord has many, many different uh, connotations. Uh, But the theme also can be referring to the nation's coming unto the Lord in the culmination of the victory of the gospel here on earth, 
um, as it is predicted in Isaiah 2, uh, 1 through 5. Let's go ahead and read that now, but, uh, but that, remember that theme of coming is, um, is, the, is the major theme of Advent. It doesn't just mean babies and mangers, it means that God is coming in the flesh. So let's read uh, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, uh, this is the very word of God. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This incredible prophecy speaks of a day when the kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven, where nation will no longer know war or have any need for weapons of war. The gospel will be so triumphant that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is only possible to the, due to the coming of Christ. Uh, in fact, it's only possible to the coming of the Christ child as a newborn babe in Bethlehem. Uh, he was a light coming into a world of darkness, and he was scattering forever the power of that darkness. And so that particular passage out of Isaiah 2 speaks to this day, this day when the gospel's culmination will come forth and will come in all of its glory. That day has not yet come, but that day is coming and is continuing to come. Now, historically, this season had been, has been celebrated during the winter months because Christmas and the winter solstice are almost identical. Uh, therefore, Advent celebrates the light coming down into the world at the very time at least for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, it, it celebrates the light coming down into the world at the very time when the world is at its darkest. Then, with the coming of Christmas, the culmination of Christmas, the birth of Christ, the days gradually begin to lengthen and grow lighter. This is a picture of the gospel in the world, light overcoming darkness. Therefore, in the ancient church, Advent became known as the season of light. And often, and still to this day, candles were of primary significance, uh, similar to the way they are today. So that's a little historical look, just very, very brief. We're going to look more at the historical um, significance of Advent in the coming weeks, because this is only week one of Advent. There's going to be week two, week three, and week four. Uh, the first week is going to be December 1st, uh, and then it's going to be the 8th, the 15th, the 22nd, and then finally Christmas will come. I am most familiar personally with Advent, and I've celebrated it fairly extensively with my family in previous years. We usually try and celebrate every day of the Advent season from December 1st or whenever the first Sunday of Advent begins, because it's not always December 1st. It changes every year. We try to celebrate every day of the Advent season from, from the first day of Advent all the way through December 25th or Christmas Day. 
And what that looks like every day is we'll usually gather around the dining room table and we'll turn off all the lights. The kids go crazy for this part. And I've usually prepared some kind of candle holder that will hold you know, the appropriate numbers of, number of candles for every day from uh, the first day of Advent all the way through Christmas. So we're talking at least 25 candles, maybe, uh, maybe 27, 28 candles. Um, and we add a candle every night. We read scripture and sing songs and pray. And, and oftentimes we'll focus on the fact that just as the gospel has come into the world and has gradually overtaken the, uh, overtaken the darkness, so every day of Advent, it gets lighter and lighter as the gospel goes forth, just like as we, as we light each new candle. Um, and, and, you know, the kids really like that. We read scripture, we sing songs, we pray, and we've been immensely blessed by, by, um, by this practice. And, and in fact, there's a devotional, and I'm going to be attaching this to the show notes, that has been very instrumental. It, it gives you a great start. It, it really is just a PDF that contains the readings and devotions for every day of Advent, um, and as well as the 12 days of Christmas and Epiphany. And like I said, I'll have that up there in the show notes. Um, so each Sabbath, though, that what I just described is what we do every day. Every Sabbath during Advent, so um, the first Sunday of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent, uh, we usually give gifts to our children. We just usually one gift. It's usually not a big gift at all. But we'll celebrate uh, with giving them a gift. We'll also celebrate with chocolate and with wine. We usually have a glorious feast. And I'm going to give more details in the future, but but I'm going to leave it here that my wife and I, and especially our seven children, absolutely love this time of year. All right, so up to this point, we've looked at some biblical texts that surround Advent, uh, specifically Isaiah chapter 2. Next week, we'll look at a different passage. Uh, we've examined very briefly some of the historic practices uh, surrounding Advent. We looked at it quickly from a practical standpoint and in, in, in what personally we use as a family. Now I want to take a little bit of time and go to the fourth section, so to speak, and that's the musical idea behind Advent. Um, we are worshiping beings and music is absolutely paramount to everything we do. And so we're going to be examining an ancient hymn, a very ancient hymn, uh, and it's called Savior of the Nations Come. Now, when I say ancient, I don't mean old-fashioned. I mean ancient. This hymn was written by St. Ambrose in 397 AD. And, you know, the fun fact to know about St. Ambrose is that God used him to convert St. Augustine, or St. Augustine, to Christianity. So St. Augustine was one of the heroes of Christianity, and St. Ambrose was one of his spiritual fathers. Really, really cool thing. Um, so this song, Savior of the Nations uh, Come, um, is originally was written, of course, in Latin. Um, then it was translated into German by Martin Luther. That was in 1524. And then it was translated into English by William Reynolds in 1860. So that means that there are several different variations of how it is written. Now, we're going to be looking at William Reynolds' translation of Martin Luther's translation of St. Ambrose's hymn. So there's a lot of hands on this. In addition to all of that, I've also recorded my own version of this hymn using an entirely different original tune. So there's all kinds of interesting and exciting things happening to this song, but let's actually look at the words, because the words are what make some of these ancient hymns so powerful. Verse 1, 
Savior of the nations, come. Virgin's son, make here thy home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God, was the word of God made flesh, woman's offspring, pure and fresh. Wondrous birth, O wondrous child, of the virgin undefiled, though by all the world disowned, still to be in heaven enthroned. From the Father forth he came, and returneth to the same, captive, leading death and hell. High the song of triumph swell. Thou, the Father's only Son, hast o'er sin the victory won. Boundless shall thy kingdom be, when shall we its glory see? Praise to God, the Father sing, praise to God, the Son, our King, praise to God, the Spirit be, ever and eternally. Wow, what a great song. This hymn is simply wonderful. Verse 1 begins with an earnest cry for God to come and make his home on earth, while understanding the fact that to take on the frailty and weakness of human flesh was an amazing thing for God to do. Just consider that. He took on our frailty. He took on our humility. Verse 2 describes how the word of God was made flesh, not by man, but by the spirit of our God in an undefiled virgin named Mary, the seed of the woman who would soon crush the head of the serpent. This verse and the beginning of verse 3 also speaks to the fact that original sin is passed from fathers to their children. Mary was not perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination. She was a sinner like the rest of us. She was, however, a virgin undefiled by any man. She was also a virgin who trusted God and who, by the power of God, conceived a child who had no original sin. Verse 3 then goes on to say that he would be rejected or disowned by everyone, but would soon be enthroned at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And verse 4, that's a victorious verse. Christ has come from the Father in humility, laying down his claim, taking on the frailty of human flesh, but he returns in victory following his glorious resurrection and ascension. We see a promise in the New Testament that if we humble ourselves before God, he will lift us up. Jesus gives us the key example for this. He humbled himself and God has lifted him up. And as he returns to the Father, he parades his captives on, on display. So now who are the captives of the Son of Glory he has conquered? Well, they are death and hell. He has conquered death and hell and so he's leading them captive. Because of this, the song of triumph swells around him. Verse 5 focuses on the deity of Christ and how he has conquered sin as well as death and hell, consequences of the fall. This new Adam, which means, by the way, Adam means son of God, this new Adam is victorious as the first Adam failed to be. He, that is Jesus, overcame the power of the evil one and in so doing delivered the human race from the prince of the power of the air. Because of this victory, his kingdom has no end. And the verse concludes with the question, when shall we see it? When shall we see this glorious kingdom in its glorious fulfillment? That's a great question. And this was a question that St. Ambrose had 1,700 years ago. And it's a question that we have today. 
And it's a question we'll likely still be asking 1,700 years from now as the gospel continues to cover the earth, as we see the ups and downs of the coming of the kingdom of God. The hymn concludes, as all good hymns seem to do, with a proclamation of the glory of the Trinity. This pattern uh, where we finish a hymn with the Trinity, that's a pattern you're going to see if you follow this podcast from week to week as we examine these old hymns, these ancient hymns. The pattern of giving glory to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit at the end of every hymn, that's a pattern that is often repeated in ancient hymns. It is a wonderful reminder that our God is infinitely complex, mysterious, and deep. He is one God, but He is also three persons. How can we explain this? Well, we can't. But I don't want to serve a God that I can completely understand, as though He was some math sum. Praise to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And with that, I'm going to close out this podcast by playing a new version of the ancient hymn, Savior of the Nations Come. This is going to be track number one on the upcoming album, simply called Advent, which will be hopefully going live in the next few days. Um, With that, I hope everyone has a blessed first Sunday of Advent, and I will see you all next week. Savior of the nations come, virgin son, make here thy home. Marvel now, O heaven and earth, that the Lord chose such a birth. Not by human flesh and blood, by the Spirit of our God, was the Word of God made flesh, woman's offspring pure and fresh. Wondrous birth, O wondrous child of the virgin undefiled, though by all the world disowned, still to be in heaven enthroned. From the Father forth he came, and returneth to the same, captive leading death and hell, I the song of triumph swell, thou the Father's only Son, hast o'er sin the victory won, boundless shall thy kingdom be, when shall we its glory Praise to God the Father sing, praise to God the Son our King, praise to God the Spirit.